0: Well, for the last several weeks, we've been going through seven marks of healthy discipleship. And this is not a, not a to-do list. It's not a, a list of spiritual disciplines or anything like that. It's really more of a—these marks are more like milestones in our journey. Uh, this is the evidence that God is at work in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. Uh, we've kind of based this whole series on uh, Romans 12:2, which says— Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So even in this verse, we can see that this is not a work that we do, but rather it's a work that we allow God to do in our lives. Uh, So these marks that we've been talking about, these are kind of the evidence that God has been at work transforming us from the inside out. Uh, And so just to give you a quick recap, if you happen to have missed some of these, uh, I'll run through the ones that we've talked about so far. The first mark is be before you do. Uh, A mature follower of Christ has learned to prioritize being with Jesus rather than just simply doing things for him. They've learned that they've got to be filled uh, by the Holy Spirit, by spending time with God before they can go out and they can, you know, dispense God's love to the people around them. They've got to be filled themselves before they have anything to give. So that's be before you do. Uh, then we talked about how uh, a mature follower of Christ follows the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Uh, a mature follower of Christ doesn't just follow Christ when, when life gets better because of it. Uh, sometimes following Christ means looking weak in the eyes of the world or foolish or, or like a failure. Uh, we, we think of the example of Christ as he, as he hung on the cross, looked to everyone at that time like an absolute a failure as a, as a leader, as a teacher. But yet we know that that was his ultimate victory. And so followers of Christ are willing to take up their cross and follow him no matter what the cost is to themselves. Uh, the third uh, mark that we looked at was to embrace the gift of our God-given limits. You know, a mature follower of Christ has come to realize that, that God is unlimited, but we are not. We have limits, whether those are our, our physical limits or, or just our, our mental capabilities or the time that we have or whatever it is, we are limited and that's okay Because in those limitations, we can learn to trust God to do all the things that we cannot. So we can learn to embrace the gift of our God-given limits. Uh, The next one that we looked at was discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. And this is kind of a, uh, maybe a a different way to think of things, but... uh, A mature follower of Christ doesn't deny the the pain and the loss and the grief that we go through in this sin-tainted world, Uh, but rather we we process that grief in a healthy way, Uh, and part of that healthy way is simply uh, acknowledging and accepting the things that we cannot change but then trusting God to bring good out of whatever circumstances he allows in our lives. And as we do that, we find great treasures. We find find healing for ourselves through all the pain that we go through. Uh, We come to know God and experience him in brand new ways, ways that we never could have otherwise. And we have the ability to comfort others as they go through some of those same struggles and difficulties. Uh, And so that was number 5 Mark uh, the last mark that we looked at was making well, actually you no know, that was number 4. Number 5 is make love the measure of maturity. Uh, a mature follower of Christ kind of has come to realize that the depth of our love for one another is really a pretty good indicator of the depth of, of our spiritual maturity. You know, Jesus said that the the world will know that we're his disciples by how we love each other. And that's very true. You know, the more we, we treat each other, just or anybody for that matter, as the precious treasure that they are created in the very image of God, the more we treat them that way, the more we can tell that we're actually being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So now that brings us to the sixth mark that we're going to look at in this series. And that is break the power of the past. All of us Have a history, and all of us have been shaped by that history for good or for bad. All right, we we didn't become the people we are in a vacuum. Uh, We've been influenced and we've been shaped by all kinds of factors in our past. Uh, We've been influenced by our our culture and by our our ethnicity, ethnicity. Is that the right word? Ethnicity. Uh, we've been shaped by our time in history, right? Life would look very different for us, I'm sure, had we been born 300 years ago or or 1,000 years ago, right? We'd be very different people simply by the time in history that we were born. Uh, we're shaped by the experiences that we've had, and all of us have had such a, a wide variety of different experiences— both good and bad. But those experiences have shaped who we are. We've been shaped by the decisions that we've made along the way. Again, both the good decisions and and some of the the not so good decisions. Those uh, play a big factor in the people that we become. And then perhaps most significantly, we've been shaped by the families that we grew up in. Now, this is not all to say that, well, we're just simply the the product of our environment uh, or anything like that. No, those things do play a significant role in shaping who we have become. And I, I would suggest that probably one of the most significant factors is indeed uh, our families of origin. Right? Very few factors in our lives will influence, influence us and shape us like our families of origin, the, the families that we grew up in, uh, whatever that may have looked like. And so that's where I want to focus on a little bit today. God in his sovereignty has placed us, each one of us, into a particular family with uh, a particular set of parents, particular siblings perhaps, in a particular place in the world and at a particular time in history. It wasn't by accident or some random throw of the dice. God carefully orchestrated all of that. Uh, Psalm 139 verse 13 says, had passed. Now that's pretty incredible that God has every moment of our lives. It's all, He knew about it all before we were even born. There's nothing accidental about any of our births, including our parents and the circumstances in which we were born into. It was determined by God to shape us into the people that we will become. Uh, and from that family that we are born into or that we are raised in, uh, we all learned our unique way of doing life. Right? We, we learned how to interact and, and to relate to one another. We learned how to work. We learned how to play. We learned how to deal with disappointment and, and conflict, uh, how to manage our time and how, our money, how to handle our anger and our frustration, how to love, how to forgive. Right? So much of, of just how we do life in general was taught to us by our families of origin. Unfortunately, we didn't just pick up on the positive things. You know, no matter how good and godly our parents may have been, they weren't perfect, right? They still had a a sinful nature just like all of us, uh, and and they had that sinful nature influencing them as they raised us, as did their parents, as did their parents, etc., etc., etc. And as a result, all of us have learned from our families some destructive, unbiblical patterns of living. And this is a principle that we see throughout the scriptures. Uh, and I think, I think Joseph's family is just a prime example of this. Uh, if, you, if you don't know the story of Joseph, I'll, I'll give you a real super quick recap on who he was. Uh, Joseph is the, one of the youngest brothers of a family of 12 brothers. Uh, he was the favorite of his father, hated by his brothers. Uh, in fact, one day uh, he was going on to check on them as they were out, uh, out in the fields. And they they actually plotted. They said, let's kill this guy. They were going to kill him. But in the end, they decided, oh, we won't kill him. We're just going to sell him as a slave into Egypt. And, and so that's what they did. And so then they had to concoct this, this lie to, you know, what are we going to tell dad, right? He's, dad's, like, uh, Joseph was dad's favorite. So they had to come up with this lie. And, and this is what I want to read for you, just as a, a little example here in Genesis 37. And I'll start reading at uh, 31. It says, then the brothers killed a, a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. This was uh, the coat of many colors that you might remember. It's uh, kind of the, the sign of, of uh, Joseph's father's favoritism of him. But they took that, that robe, dipped it in blood. Then they found, sent the, the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Uh, they sent it. They didn't even bring it. They sent it. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say. And then he would weep. I mean, can you imagine telling... Such a blatant lie to your your father, especially after what you just did, that would be so devastating for him. And this this went on for decades, right? This was a secret that, that they kept from him for years and years and years. And and he repeatedly mourned, right? Lying about the death of, of his of his favorite son, any son really. I mean, that's that's heartless. That's that's cruel. How could these guys ever learn to be such such heartless liars? Well. Flip back in your Bibles a few pages uh, to Genesis chapter 27, when Jacob was a young man. This was the father of Joseph, Jacob. When he was a young man, uh, his dad, Isaac, is starting to get a little bit older. And as was the custom back then, uh, the, the, the dying father basically blesses the, the oldest son, uh, the, the firstborn, with a, a special blessing. And so he's preparing to do this for, for Esau, because Esau, Esau and, and Jacob were actually twins. Esau was just a little bit older, and so he was going to bless Esau. Uh, and so he kind of talks to Esau, says, go out. You're, you're a man of the woods. You're a hunter. Go hunt me some game. We'll eat this meal, and then I'm going to give you this blessing. Well, uh, the, Isaac's wife, or Jacob's wife, uh, and Jacob overheard of, that this was all happening. Uh, and so let me read what their plan was. Uh, so in verse 14, it says, So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were in the house, and she gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms in the smooth part of his skin or the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats, because Esau was a very hairy man, whereas Jacob was very smooth skinned So they they put the goat skins on him. Uh, Then they gave Jacob the delicious meal, including the freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you? Esau or Jacob? Now, Isaac was nearly blind at this time, so he couldn't really tell by looking, and they probably sounded a little bit similar being twins. So he asked for clarification. Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. I have done as you have told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can smell you, or so that I can touch you, and make sure that you really are Esau. You can kind of see that Isaac is having his doubts here. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob, because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son, Esau? he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it. And then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. I mean, what a what a crazy story of just elaborate deception, right? What a, what a conniving rat this guy is, really. I mean, no wonder his sons, you know, Joseph's brothers, learned to be such such liars, right? But where did Jacob learn such things? Well, flip back in your Bibles a little further uh, to Genesis 26, verses 6 to 10. This is Isaac now as a, a younger man. So Isaac stayed in Gerar, When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, She is my sister. He was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, They will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. But sometime later, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. How could you do this to us? Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might have easily taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. Are you starting to to see a pattern in this family, right? And it goes back even further. Go back just a little bit further to Isaac's father, Abraham, in Genesis 20, verse 1. It says, Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. Then he moved on to Gerar, kind of the same place as Isaac was. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. So Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. The sinful pattern of lying began with Abraham and was passed down to his son and to his grandsons and to his great-grandsons, Joseph's brothers. That's four generations of People in this family who were deeply and significantly impacted by the sinful choices of just one man. Now, of course, each man was responsible for their choices. I'm not suggesting that Abraham was responsible for the decisions of his son or his grandsons or his great-grandsons, but you can really see how the the sinful patterns of one generation just passes down to the next and down to the next and down to the next. Now, even though these men were all all great, I mean, they're heroes of the faith. They're listed as, you know, the the great men of God, Uh, but still they're unaddressed sinful patterns were passed down from generation to generation. And unfortunately, that is not unusual. That's not an exception to the rule. Usually, uh, what happens in one generation tends to repeat itself or even amplify itself in the next. All right, we we certainly see that in Abraham's family, you know, as the the depth uh, of the deception and and the lies grew more elaborate and more extensive every time. And and as a parent, I, I really shudder at those sort of thoughts, right? The thought of my kids repeating my sinful choices or, or amplifying them, or my grandkids, or my great-grandkids repeating those same sinful patterns that I struggle with. Now, maybe some of you guys can, can relate to that concern a little bit as you reflect on your life. But I do want to encourage you this morning. This is not all the bad news. There is good news here as well. Because just because we tend to pass along those, those sinful patterns to our, our children and our grandkids, It doesn't mean we have to. Through Christ, we can break the power of the past. Um, The Bible talks about how how sin in general was passed down from our our great, 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 however many greats it is, ancestor Adam. Uh, In uh, Romans 5, 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Much like what we've been talking about this morning, we've all inherited a sinful nature from Adam. We've adopted his sinful patterns of rebellion against God. And as a result, we all face the consequences of death. But of course, God, in, in his great mercy and love for us, he sent Jesus Christ to, to break the power of sin in our lives, to, to free us from its consequences. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave made it possible for us to have victory over that. Uh, in Romans five seventeen, just a little further down in that chapter, it says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. This is, this is the core of the gospel. This, this means first and foremost that we can be forgiven of our sin. And we can have victory over the, the sinful patterns in our lives. We can have uh, the gift of eternal life with God uh, for eternity but this also means that we can break those those sinful patterns of sin that were passed down to us from our ancestors. Now, this means that we're not destined to follow in the footsteps of our parents or our grandparents or, or whoever it is in our family of origin because we've been adopted into a new This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That's always one of my my favorite passages. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He loved the idea of adopting us into his family. And that's such good news for us. Uh, Through Christ, we can begin new patterns in our family. We can set a new path for our children and our grandchildren and even our our great-grandchildren. But, of course, those patterns don't just happen automatically. Uh, as uh, Pete Scazzaro says, we may have Jesus in our heart, but grandpa still lives in our bones, right? Those old patterns don't just automatically disappear as soon as we become a Christian. It's going to take some, some deliberate choices. It's going to take the help of the Holy Spirit and, and probably a good chunk of time to break some of those, those old habits, those old patterns, those old ways of thinking, and establish some new ones. And, and this is exactly the slow process that we've been talking about uh, coming out of Romans 12 too says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world or your ancestors, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. All right, this is not something that happens instantaneously. This is a long, long process. So, what does that process look like? How exactly do we work to, to break those, those generational patterns of sin in, in our families? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge both the blessings and the sins of our family. Going back even three or four generations, uh, we need to realize that those things, those things profoundly impact who we are today. You know, just like how we saw in the, the family of Joseph, there were, there were some tremendous blessings in his family. I mean, his family was full of examples of, of faithfulness and obedience to God, like some of the most amazing stories of the Old Testament or came out of his family. But there were also some very obvious patterns of sin that continued to, to deeply impact each person in that family. And, and you too likely have that mix in your family of tremendous blessings but also some sinful patterns in your family tree as well. And so it's important that we acknowledge those things. This ties in a little bit with what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, about, uh, about uh, grieving our losses, right? Part of, part of this is grieving that, you know, there's, there's some loss, there's some hurt that has occurred because of these sinful patterns that have been passed down. But acknowledging those hurts and those losses and those patterns is the first step towards recovery and healing, So how do we identify some of those patterns? Now, some of those things might be obvious. I mean, you might be coming up with some thoughts in your mind right away, just as we've talked about this, Uh, but others might be a little bit more subtle. So let me just give you a few questions that you can kind of ask yourself as you try to discover, you know, what might be some of the patterns in my family tree. So here's a few questions. Uh, How would you describe your parents' or your grandparents' marriages, right? Are there some unhealthy patterns in in their relationships that may have been passed down? How is conflict handled, either by your parents or by your grandparents? Uh, Are there any generational themes that you might identify? These are maybe the more obvious ones, things of of addiction or or depression, alcoholism, abuse, divorce, things like that. Uh, What kind of relationships did everybody have with with the extended family? Uh, What kind of traumatic loss has your family suffered, and how is it dealt with? What were those things that were, were never talked about? You know, family secrets... Sexuality, emotions. You know, what was, the, what was the measure of success in your family? And these are just a, a few questions to start the, the the gears turning in your mind, but all of these questions might bring to light some, some patterns in your family of origin that might still be impacting you today in some, some significant but negative ways. But once you've acknowledged both the blessings and the sinful patterns in your family tree, step two is to recognize that you've been born into a new family. Uh, we read from Ephesians earlier about how God delighted into adopting us into his family, even before time began. Uh, Romans continues this, this same idea in Romans 8, 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, as followers of Christ, we have a new family and we have a new father. Now, not to deny or dismiss the role of our earthly parents. I mean, the Bible is very clear that we need to honor our father and our mother. But it's so critical for us to realize that as followers of Christ, we have become children of God. Uh, to use the, the Christian terminology, we've been born again into this new family and as such our heavenly father gives us new patterns to follow a new way to do life you know just like how we learn from our earthly parents about how to to interact and, and relate to one another how to work how to play how to deal with disappointment and conflict how to manage our time and money how to anger or how to handle our anger and frustration how to love and forgive all those things Now we have a new Heavenly Father, and he wants to teach us his way of doing all of those things. And so that takes us now to the final step, and that is to put off the old sinful patterns from our family of origin, and to put on the new patterns given to us from the family of God. Uh, Ephesians 4, 21 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, know, as the Holy Spirit helps you identify some of those, those sinful patterns that might be present in your life, choose to put an end to those patterns and choose instead to begin some new ones, patterns that follow the example of Christ. Uh, in the verses that follow in this passage after those verses in Ephesians there, Paul goes on to give us some very specific examples of what kind of patterns we need to throw off and which kind of patterns we need to, to pick up. And you might identify with some of these as, as we go along. I'll read through those. And I'd and just encourage you to consider if maybe some of these are patterns that have been passed down through your family tree. Uh, so Paul says in uh, verse 25 of uh, Ephesians 4, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Because God is our Father now, we can imitate him in all that we do. We don't have to follow the the sinful patterns set by the generations before us. We don't have to set up our grandkids to follow those same patterns either. We can start a new legacy. You know, we talked about the, the sinful patterns in Joseph's family, and we saw just the, the, the pain and the suffering that they all went through because of those patterns. But if you know the story, you also know that Joseph chose not to follow in their footsteps, right? He, he, never, he never denied his past. In fact, he, he wept over his losses, but yet in the midst of his grief, He surrendered to God's will, and he trusted in God's goodness. And rather than following the the generational pattern set before him, he chose to follow his heavenly father. And we can do the same. You know, we're not destined to follow in the footsteps of our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents. We can choose to follow the footsteps of our heavenly father. We can set a new course for our family. So I'd encourage you to, to make that choice today. You know, uh, let's, let's throw off those old sinful uh, patterns and, and ways of doing life and start some, some new ways of doing it, ways that, that honor and please the Lord. And I know that's, I know that's not easy to do. It's, it's pretty easy to say not easy to do, but God is able. He will empower you with his Holy Spirit to make those choices, to make those changes in your family. And then my last exhortation to you is this, that you are not alone in this. You know, in this this family of God that we are all now part of, we're brothers and sisters. This is one of the the blessings of being part of God's family. And we don't have to go through all these these difficult things by ourselves. We have these brothers and sisters, older, maybe not uh, chronologically, but people who've just been there, done that already. Uh, They've gone through these hard things in their life. They've made some of those changes, and they are so willing to help you along as you make those same choices and those same changes in your life. And so I just encourage you to to share some of your struggles with one another. Uh, Pray for one another. Encourage one another as we allow the Holy Spirit to make these changes in our lives. So on that note, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed to try to go practice this into our week. Uh, Dear God, we thank you so much for being our Heavenly Father uh, God, we, we do want to honor our father and mother. Uh, you gave them to us for a, a partic- particular reason. Uh, and I know there's there's lots of different family situations that all of us come from, uh, but you orchestrated it all for, for some reason. I don't know what all the reasons are, God, but you do. And, and you've used those things to shape us into the people that we are now. And God, you want to continue shaping us into the people that you you created us to be. And so we thank you that, that you've offered each one of us the opportunity to be adopted into your family. And if there's anyone here who's who's not yet made that choice to accept your, your invitation to be your child, to be forgiven and to have eternal life, I pray that they would make that choice today and they would accept uh, the, the blessing of being invited into your family. And for those of us who are already there, God, I thank you for the, the church family that we get to be part of here. Thank you for these, these uh, brothers and sisters who, who live next door to us, right close, that we can share some of our struggles and, and we can pray for one another and encourage one another I just pray that if there's there's folks here that are going through, you know, maybe some very difficult times because of stuff that's happened in their family, I pray that they would be able to reach out to, to somebody here. Not only would they reach out to you and be comforted by your spirit, but that they would be comforted and encouraged by, by you know, us, us flesh and blood people right here. Uh, they pray that we would be able to walk alongside each other uh, just to help each other, to encourage one another. And I pray that uh, we would start new patterns, that as we seek to follow you and your Holy Spirit prompts us about those, those maybe those generational patterns that we can see, help us to to make a new start as we follow you and try to to set patterns for our kids and for our grandkids and for our great-grandkids. That will be honoring and glorifying to you. God, I know this is, this is hard work, uh, but we pray that through your Holy Spirit, through your power, uh, that we would be able to do these things uh, all to the glory of your name. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.